Hello and welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. I'm excited for this episode because I'm joined by Adrian Rosado, president of Zion Leadership Group, to discuss the importance of working with students from underserved communities to help them develop the skills necessary to be prepared for the world of work. We also have explored the importance of forging a connection between education, the corporate world, and the federal government to promote internships and other opportunities for students and new professionals in the global marketplace. Hey, Adrian, welcome to Humanly Possible. Thanks for joining. Uh, so Adrian is a really good friend of mine, actually. And so we have these conversations all the time um, around workforce development, and the pipeline into the workplace. So uh, before I jump into the actual topic, give us an introduction about Adrian. Who are you and what makes you human? Awesome, awesome. Well, my name is Adrian Rosado. I am the founder and president of Zion Leadership Group. We've been in business for 10 years now. It's been a, a wonderful 10 years. I've had the privilege of seeing some amazing places around the world, but also working in some amazing places around the world. So what we do at the Zion Leadership Group is three-pronged. Uh, first thing is training and development at the university level for students and directors. Uh, second prong is we work with federal agencies and provide them interns at the business and engineering level. And then we have a strong foothold in educational tourism. So when people ask me about educational tourism, we have contracts to create global immersion programs uh, throughout Asia and Southeast Asia. So we take students, directors, professionals, um, and we create a global curriculum for them. And then ultimately that leads into a immersion program abroad. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful ride thus far. I've had the opportunity to share so many of my ideas with you, Angela. So thank you for, for being such an um, integral part in terms of, of spinning the wheels with me and, and challenging me a lot and, and advising in some sort. So it's been fun. The business has grown so much. Uh, like any entrepreneur, we've had to, to always continue to pivot, continue to adapt, but that's what, that's what makes us us, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, if you would have told me 10 years ago that starting this company and training and development at the university level would have taken me to Philippines, China, Japan, uh, Europe, South, South America, I would not have believed you. So I guess that's a great segue into what makes me human. And, you know, I look at things where everything is part of your journey. And as an entrepreneur, you're so, you're, you're very much in your bubble so much that it becomes really hard to see outside. And, and it's like you have blinders on, right? It's like business, business development, marketing, taking, pay, taking care of people, making sure your business is, is successful. But when you ask me the question, what makes me human? It's at the end of the day, I look back and so many times I feel like I'm still in shock. And I'm very grateful for all these opportunities. And I have to understand that you know, work is work and, and building bridges and, and building products and services is one thing, but we still have to be grateful and humble for everything that we've been given and the opportunities that we've been given. And, and not only that, but uh, when you're able to do things like that, it's, it's up to us to make sure that we bring people who've supported you along for the ride and to provide opportunities for them as well. So thank you for that question. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, yeah, your, your work is so crucial. And I know you and I have had a chance to, to partner in a, in a lot of ways, just because, you know, your work is really a pipeline into my work and vice versa a little bit. And so, you know, your world is really around building um, the support system and the capability with youth and students in order to be prepared for the future of work, right? So your work is, is so pivotal. Um, and so I'm, interest, I'm interested to know how has that changed given you're, you're very much in the, the global tourism space with students and also making sure they get a well-rounded view of the world and building that capability. How has that changed with COVID? Well, it's actually gotten significantly easier with the, with the obviously physical travel is not as easy as it was before COVID. However, it's fun. It's, it's interesting because I was actually reading an article the other day and what COVID did for us. So Zoom and, you know, all these online platforms, uh, interaction platforms, they've been available for many years. But the thing was, it was kind of faux pas to say, hey, instead of, instead of a call, can we hop on a Zoom? Or instead of a lunch meeting, can we hop on a Zoom, right? Like three years ago, that would have been like, are you, are you lazy? You just don't wanna leave your house? So, you know, there's that aspect. Then the second aspect is the technology aspect where people were not as comfortable with it, right? So, you know, what COVID did for me specifically is it forced everybody else to get comfortable with utilizing these platforms. And that was the major thing, right? As much as I knew how to utilize uh, an online face-to-face -face interaction platform like a Zoom or a Google Meets or, or whatever it may be, uh, considering I had to have meetings with my partners abroad, that necessarily wasn't the case for, for a lot of other people, whether they weren't comfortable enough to utilize the technology or whether they thought it just wasn't, um, it wasn't a proper method that they wanted to use in order to meet and discuss details. Mm -hmm. So with that said, to your question, it's become super, super easy for me to say, hey, let's, let's, let me get director XYZ or student XYZ on a cultural immersion course online, because guess what? Now they know how to utilize it. Now they know how to utilize the benefits of it, and now they're comfortable with it. So with us saying, hey, you know, we're, 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 we're developing substantially large amounts of curriculum around uh, tourism, you know, whether or not you go there within the next two years, does that ma does not matter? Because the ultimate goal of our programs is to build networks. So we're, we're still connecting people from Asia, South America, Europe, to our students and our directors from America in order to create bigger programs. So for me, it's, all it has done is taken away the physical travel aspect part. There are way too many pros versus the cons for me. Now it's so much easier for me to say, hey, my friend in Frankfurt, Germany, can you hop on a call? I have my friends from Shanghai in Manila and we wanna talk about creating an, urban, an economic development plan for uh, some students that are interested in urban planning, hmm. right? That yeah. becomes a lot easier than saying, hey, can we get funding for, 10 students to fly out to Germany and meet with my uh, business partners in China and Philippines. So, you know, when you, when you ask that question, it, it, it makes me smile because 
again, to my to, to the original response in terms of what makes me human, I'm extremely grateful for the, the ability and the opportunity to continue to connect people. But now I'm able to connect many more people at the same time. Yeah, it almost makes the world a little smaller, right? Because, uh, you know, what I've noticed is, you know, I've, I've worked with people who I never would have thought I'd have an, a chance to work with because we've been saying, yeah, I'll make it out there. I'll make it out there. And then finally, we're here through a screen, of course, but things are moving quickly. So, so let's talk about the, the, the population you work with. So students, youth, um, I'm assuming uh, kind of end of high school, college, is that? Yes, so I, I work with a very specific demographic. So I have federally funded contracts with the Department of Education. Uh, and I work uh, predominantly with a program called TRIO, which services high school, university, and grad students. So while our programs are offered, are, are open in essence to, to all university students, I'm contracted through a specific department that works with traditionally uh, non, I'm sorry, traditionally low income, non-traditional first generation students. And, you know, we were ahead of the curve by, by working with this with this this specific department and getting contracts with this department ten years ago, so you know now you'll kind of see it's become a little it's become a little popular to say hey first generation student or things of that nature. But Trio has been around for forty plus years. So you know when I was a grad student, I was working with the Trio departments at my university, and that's how I knew about the program, and that's how I got into contact with the. Um, with the Department of Ed and started getting long-term contracts with them to provide training and development and then ultimately internships with the US Army, Bureau of Land Management and Veterans Affairs Office. And then turning that and finding line items on how we can create that pipeline even bigger and make it global by providing the global immersion programs. So yeah, I would say typically juniors in high school through second year grad school. Yeah, and I am a McNair scholar, so I uh, giving you a little heart here because uh, those programs, you know, prepared me uh, in in school. And the, the thought of grad school didn't even come to mind. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right, I've done college already. I'm good. Let's yeah. go. But there is a, an amount of preparation around not just the academic side of things, but also the soft skills, but real world skill sets that students need in order to enter the workforce successfully yes, and yes. to grow. Uh, so where, where do you think there are gaps? So you talked about first generation, um, low income. Um, so that, that population, obviously there's a lot of gaps just in the system, but what are you seeing as some of the, the patterns around gaps that our students are just not prepared for when entering the workforce? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, great question, by the way. So, I mean, it kind of follows, if you look at my trajectory, it kind of follows the, so our business model is a very tight business model, but as you know, as a business owner as well, you have to, you have to allow for adaptability and, and a little bit of uh, moving around, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the, at, at my business trajectory, you'll see that we stayed on a very, very specific path but we've diversified as the, as the openings allowed and as the trends opened up as well. So to that point, I should say, 
you know, when we started the programs, it was focused around training and development. Training and development in what? Communication, motivation, goal setting, things like that, right? When you look at a, when you look at a non-traditional, uh, and I, when I say non-traditional, I mean students who don't go directly from high school to, to university. They could have gone to the service uh, for a couple of years. They could have taken a job for a couple of years, maybe started a family, uh, you know, and then they come back to university. So that's, a, that's considered a non-traditional student. Um, and then, you know, first-generation students are exactly that, first-generation mm -hmm. students. No family, has, no, no family before them has gone or graduated from university. So I say that to say this. Those skills that I just spoke about, the training and development skills, communication, goal-setting, motivation, those weren't a given for, for students that come from a background like that 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I look at, at me, I was a first-generation college student. There wasn't much information that my mother could provide in terms of the university process, the college process, because she hadn't gone through it. And there weren't many people that I knew that had gone through it. So I kind of had to navigate those waters on my own. And I learned that those skills were extremely important to be able to be able to be able to communicate at a high level, to be able to articulate myself, my thoughts, my ideas at a high level, to have the self-confidence to sit in a room and say, hey, I may be the only uh First generation college student here, but I know my brain, my brain produces and I know what I have to offer. So, you know, again, 10 years, that was very, very important. So that's where we started. And that was, that was very, very, very special to us. But we also, as the years have gone by, we've been able to identify some, some very, some very strong gaps that go even deeper than soft skills. So if you look at, so if you look at the trajectory of, of just society in general, right? You'll notice that students, even in university, now there's, there's classes that are built around things like soft skills, right? Uh, our company specifically, we went from doing half-day programs to full-day programs to semester-long programs to year-round programs uh, just based on those specific soft skills, which is a blessing for us because, you know, we were able to be employed and be able to make money. And I was able, I was able to, to bring other people on board and facilitate and do things like that around those specific soft skills. But to me, when I looked in the terms of sustainability, longevity, and even just innovation, for me, I have to always, I have to continue to be challenged. I have a really, really amazing network and an extremely strong team, which you are a part of as well. I continually have to make sure that I'm challenging the people that I'm in contact with consistently. As the head of this company and as a one of the pioneering entrepreneurs, I would say, of our of our generation, uh, Angela. You know, the, when we started, there weren't many people. You know, entrepreneur was a it was a sexy word, but people weren't people didn't even know what it meant, right? They they were you know if they sold a couple things online, they were an entrepreneur for the next ten years, but they made forty bucks, right? So you know, there, there's entrepreneur and there's entrepreneur, right? So you know, as an entrepreneur and having so many talented and extremely intelligent friends around me, again, like yourself, it was up to me to say like, hey, how do I keep this fresh? What are some stuff that, what are some things that are coming up in terms of, of, of soft skills, in terms of workforce development that I can continue to push my team and my network so that they can continue to create and they can continue, they can continue to grow. 
So I remember when this opportunity came up when, uh, you know, at this point I had been in, in business for about five years. So I had a pretty strong connection at the university level. Mm -hmm. Now I had contracts with over 120 universities, um, thousands of students we had been working with, over, th over a thousand directors, uh, things of that nature. So we had a really, really strong network in, at the university level. Uh, I was getting to, I was getting asked to create some stuff at the, at the corporate level, but I was just getting so much work at the university level that I had to say, hey, this is where we're going to focus on. And we could build a pipeline later to, to corporate, but there's so many people that I know and that I can help at this level, we need to focus on this. So with that said, about five years in is when uh, we get a call and we get an RFP where the U.S. Army they had they hadn't they hadn't hired people for ten years, right? They went on a hiring freeze for ten years. So now you have all these all these older generals, sergeants, things of that nature that want to retire. But guess what? They can't because their workforce is just as old as they are. So you know, <laughs> there's nobody to take their place. So voila, who comes in now? The person with the university contacts who's been developing these soft skills in these students for the past five, six years who are now ready to take on leadership positions in the workforce. So, you know, what I noticed with that was, you know, they reached out and they said, you know, we, we, we see the, the network that you have and we're looking for top level mm. talent. We're looking for top level talent to come in and shake our workforce up, to diversify our workforce, and to give bring new talent into our workforce. Can you can can you help us with that? So you know we talked about training and development soft skills, right? And now we're talking about workforce development. So by taking these students and these directors and showing them, hey, these soft skills are extremely integral to your professional success is one thing to tell them. But now when you say, hey. If you're part of this program for the next year on soft skill development, this could potentially lead to you getting a paid internship with the federal government through me still. And how do I know that? Because I know the skills that they want and we're gonna be teaching these skills in our soft skill programs. So you look at that and to your question, you know, how do those trends would have shaken up in terms of the workforce? Well, that's it exactly. You know, the workforce, what they, what they didn't have, and this is at the federal level, which is extremely stringent, and I would say a, a substantially more stringent than private, right? So, you know, there are so many things uh, in terms of protocols, um, things of that nature that these students outside of soft skills have to learn, dressing up every day for work, um, uh, adhering to people by sir, ma'am, sergeant, general, right? If you become accustomed to this as an intern, and mind you, these interns, these internships are paid very well. So, you know, they're asking for the best of the best. So when I'm working at the training and development level, all we're doing is consistently vetting without them even knowing, right? And then we're saying, hey, make sure to apply to this. So with that said, we've had the, we've had the, we've had the internship contract with the army for four years, going on five years now, and we're about to renew our, our five-year contract, which means we're doing something right. So, you know, you're asking me, what are the trends? Well, the fact of the matter is, 
these students, they can learn all they want. And these corporations and federal agencies can have all the positions that they want, right? But if there's this gap of where the student is and where the employer wants them to be, that's where I come in. The employers, they, they don't have access to, to the amount of talent that, that I do. And the students, the talent, don't have access to the employers that I do. So how are we connecting them, A? Mm -hmm. B, how are we leveraging their talent and how are we placing them in a right position so that they're not just getting an internship, but they're taking this internship and ultimately turning in that into a full-time position. So, you know, there's that section. The third section is, as we all know, communication, especially in the workforce, has gone global. We can solve bigger, larger, much more complex pro problems when we're utilizing our resources from abroad. So what are we doing? We're teaching these students to work with, with companies, organizations, and professionals from abroad. So when we were able to get the federal government contracts, the workforce development internship contracts, a couple years later, we started our own internship program outside of the federal government. We started something called the Global Virtual Internship. So for the students who weren't getting the internships with the federal government, we were, we were giving them an opportunity to do a six-week project-based internship with us with our global internship supervisors in Germany, South America, China, and the Philippines. So now they were working with entities in those countries and developing projects and doing presentations with people from those countries and those continents. So again, what are we preparing them for? To be able to A, complete projects at a very high level, B, communicate with supervisors, directors at a high level, C, work with multi-generational and multicultural teams at a very high level. What does that produce? That, produce, that produces beautiful employees and amazing entrepreneurs with global perspectives. Hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, that was um, awesome. And what I kind of took away from that was, you know, you're creating a bridge between these brilliant, talented students and the workforce. And you've identified, I think, some uh, really key things like communication and, you know, global, globalization is happening even quicker now that we are in a virtual kind of hybrid type of environment. So that, that's got to be a important piece um, and an important capability that you're building, not just for now, but for the future. I, I, again, I think the world is shrinking <laughs> um, in, so many, in, in so many ways. And so if you don't prepare students, which are going to be future employees for that, you're you're kind of in a bad place. You are, but also your, your, your company is, right? I mean, you know, you work, you work yeah. in HR, you work in workforce development. So you know that if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're stagnant, the, the world doesn't stop moving. So if you stop moving, you're already behind. So, you know, as a company, if you're not, if you're not ahead of the curve and you're not recruiting top level talent, um, your workforce is just, none of us are getting younger and our skills are only gonna continue to, to either get better if we choose to, but if we don't, we're gonna get left behind quickly. So I'd rather be on the, I'd rather be ahead of the curve and I'd rather have uh, this generation behind us be on my good side, or I'd be on the good side. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> they are the future, right? They are Absolutely. the future. Um, so my last question is around, so we talked about the pipeline, the bridge. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I work on is making workplaces more human. 
and uh, you know, creating workspaces that are more open to differences, are more tolerant of um, the complexity of, of humanity, right? So, you know, I'm not going in and I'm, I'm not having to uh, alter or spend a lot of energy not being myself in order to fit in. So are you doing any work also with like the universities and the employers as well to help kind of bridge that gap on the other side? And if so, like what, what, what should that look like? Well, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's one of the biggest things that, that, that we've understood is, is a focus now, right? So we've been able to work with the federal government at a very high level, but when you're talking about, and I'm going to, I'm going to maybe adjust your question a little bit in mm. terms of um, speaking. Now we'll speak to private, right? Yeah. To, to, to private corporations. So, you know, what they had been doing this whole time is they were, it was kind of a one size fits all for them. So they were going to, they were going to the same universities, uh, recruiting the same type of students, uh, just doing the same thing over and over again, which as we all know, can only work so long. And as you and I both know, this, this, this talent pool has become so much more diverse. If you look at, case in point, if you look at some of these massively large companies, say like a, I don't know, we'll say like a, a Boeing or a, a, a Facebook or, 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 you know, or whatever, just a massive, a really big company, where do you see them at? You see them, you see them uh, recruiting at Harvard. You see them recruiting at Stanford. You see them at the same places, getting the same type of student, right? What kind of students go to universities like that? I'll let you fill in the gaps, right? But I know most of them don't look like me. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm any less talented or any less intelligent, clearly by the business that we've created, right? So, you know, what we do is we're providing this bridge and we're providing this, this awareness that you're going to be able to get the same talent in different spaces. And if you don't do that now in 10 years, you're going to be, you're going to be faced with the same problems that you have now. And that's never going to stop if you, if you stay with the same methodology. So, you know, when we're, when we're, when we're asked to come to universities, when we're asked to go to corporations and speak about the talent that we have, very rarely are we touting, you know, these top, these, these, these top five universities. That's, that's not, that's not what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to a top five university, right? I didn't, I didn't do all that. And am I, am I successful? some would consider me successful, right? So, you know, how do we, how do, how do I play a role in allowing these companies to understand that, A, your, your, your company has to be diversified at a very high level mm -hmm. in terms of different talent. Um, you can't just be, and I think you'll appreciate this one, you can't just be great in engineering. You understand now more so that these students and your talent and your employees have to be extremely cross-trained, right? Everybody has to know a little bit about everything. Yes, I want you to be a specialist, obviously, in engineering if we need an engineering person, but I also need to know that you know uh, basic principles of marketing, basic principles of management, basic principles of communication, because if you're the best engineer, but can't articulate or express your ideas to the rest of the team, how can the rest of the team help this company grow further? So that's one thing. 
The second thing is, how are we showcasing the talent at these other universities, right? So, you know, you look at state universities, state public universities, right? Um, things of that nature. There's top level talent there and there's top level diverse talent there. So I'll give you an example. For one of our, for one of our, our contracts with the federal government, there is a specific requirement. We don't recruit from regular universities. We recruit from strictly minority serving universities. We recruit from, and what a minority serving university is, is an HSI, Hispanic Serving Institution, HBCU, Historically Black College or University, TC, Tribal College, Asian American Pacific Islander Serving University. And you're gonna tell me that there's top, there's not top level talent in those at those universities, right? There are. So that's where we come in and say, well, you know what? You can recruit from the same places all the time, get the same results and continue to get the same results, but clearly there needs to be a shift. And that's where we come in. We have, we're creating a bridge and a portal to some of the best high-end diverse minority talent in the US and territories. So we have, you know, we recruit from all 50 states, uh, minority serving institutions, but as you can imagine, Puerto Rico, that's full of Hispanic serving institutions, we recruit from there, and these students are all getting paid jobs. So, you know, to answer your question, how are we helping uh, on, on both sides of the university and the, and the private uh, employer end? That's exactly how. A, with the university, we're putting them on the map and we're putting them in front of these, we're putting them in front of these employers, right? Not just the talent, but the actual university. When the, an employer XYZ will will utilize uh, the U.S. Army or say Walgreens, right? When they say when they say you know, University of Puerto Rico is pumping out some top-notch account uh, accountants and engineering majors. Well, guess what? University of Puerto Rico is not a top five, top ten university, but now these people know that they're going to get top five level quality students, interns, and employees from them. So. You know that's how we're that's how we're helping out both ends and and become a staple in that in that space. That's wonderful. It's uh, the work you're doing, Adrian, is so crucial. Um, and I just want to thank you, friend, for joining. And our conversations will continue. I know because there's a lot of work to do. So thank you again, Adrian. Oh, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on this wonderful podcast. It was a pleasure. And I'm excited to see this grow because these conversations uh, need to be had. And, and I'm excited to see more of your, more of your network. Thank you. <laughs>